0: You're listening to the Gospel of Mark, a series preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Mark chapter 4. I think the bulletin says Mark 10, but it's actually Mark chapter 4 this evening we'll be in. And we'll be looking again at the parable of the soils. Uh, During World War II... There was a statistician named Abraham Wald who was asked by the British Air Force to decide where to add more uh, reinforcement on their their bombers. Okay, so, So he's working with the Air Force and they're saying, hey, listen, too many of our pilots are being shot down. Where do we need to add more protection to ensure that no more planes or less planes are shot down? And so he carefully inspected all of the gunfire that the planes that they had had taken, and then he determined that the best place to add more reinforcement was in those places where there were the least bullets, the least bullet holes. That's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? You'd think you should add reinforcement where they're taking fire. But when he explained his reasoning, it all made sense. The planes that came back home were the ones that were shot, but not shot down. And so wherever they found bullet holes, no problem. I guess the plane can take bullet holes in those places. The planes that weren't shot, that were shot down were the planes that were shot in the places that he was trying to reinforce. And so it made complete sense. But when you first hear about it, it's counterintuitive. There are many instances like this where the things that we hear first, they just don't seem to square with what we expect, right? They're against common sense. I came across another example this week. Um, destructible. What is the opposite of, of something that is destructible? Indestructible. How about uh, something that is secure? Dependent. Flammable. What? It's not inflammable because, because what's interesting is inflammable, inflammable mean the exact same thing. It's non-flammable, right? So it's just weird. It's, it's counterintuitive. Okay. So all of that to set up this story this evening that as Christ gives this parable and as we see the strategy of ministry that, that Jesus is showing us tonight, we might find it to be a little bit counterintuitive. As, as we read some of these verses, especially one verse in particular that we'll get to, we read the verse and we go, what? Jesus must have meant something else because there's no way that is what he meant. And yet, it is. And so I want to look at Mark chapter 4. Uh, I hope that we are on the same page when I say that our goal is is to find out Jesus' strategy of ministry and mimic it. We want to know what Jesus did and what he thought was important for people to hear and how he conducted his ministry so that our church and the people here understand what we're supposed to do. Right? How do we go out and reach our friends and our neighbors and our relatives with the gospel? The best way to do that is to see how Jesus did it. So Mark chapter 4, we'll begin reading at verse number 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside and there was gathered unto him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and he sat in the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land So at this point in Jesus ministry the crowd was huge people were coming from all over the place to see to meet to hear Jesus teach everyone everybody wanted to witness a miracle Everybody wanted to be somehow touched by Jesus. And we spoke about this last time, that they had this messianic expectation. The Messiah would come, maybe, just maybe, this was him. And so there's so much excitement, so much uh, passion that these people had as they came to see Christ. And so what's interesting to us is that Jesus here is going to give a parable that describes the events that are currently unfolding. It's kind of like this analogy that describes exactly what's happening at this moment in time as Jesus speaks. What's happening? Well, there's a farmer who's going out and he's sowing seed and people are hearing and, and some of the seed is falling on different soils. And see, Do you see what I'm saying? That's exactly what's happening. As Jesus speaks the words he's describing, the words he's describing is, is the parable. The illustration, right? Like, it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. He's making up this story that describes exactly what he's doing. And people have no idea. They have no clue. And so verse 2. He taught them many things by parables, and he said to them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sword to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And he said unto them, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus here is sowing the seed of the word of God. The seed is landing on all different types of soil. Some hard, some rocky, some thorny, and some good soil. This parable helps us to understand the goal of the farmer. What is the farmer trying to accomplish? It helps us to understand the power of the seed. And it helps us to understand the response of the varied soils. Unfortunately, as Jesus spoke, most people didn't get it. And so verse 10 says, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. Hey, Jesus, what what do you mean? I actually, I think this is kind of a, a, a cute... Way of putting it. Um, Jesus has all of his disciples, right, with him. And then he's got, he's got the apostles. He's got other disciples that are with him all the time. And I can imagine them sitting there and hearing Jesus tell the parable. And what would they have been doing? They're sitting in the front row, right? They, they're close to Jesus. They're doing exactly what Paul's doing right now. They're nodding their head and smiling, right? I, I remember um, when I went to, to Faithway Baptist Church, uh, they always had guys sit up behind the preacher, Right, and I always felt bad for those guys because they had to sit there the whole time and not not fall asleep. Right, uh, they had to make sure that they were agreeing. They had to keep their expression because everybody's looking at what they're doing. And so I'm picturing these people in the front row just going, "Yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right, Jesus." And then they get into the back room with him and like, "You ask him? <laughs> no, you ask him." Oh, okay, Jesus, what were you talking about? Like. What's the whole deal with the soils and the farmer and the seed? We have no idea what's going on. And so, Jesus tells them in verse 11, or begins to explain to them what the parable means. Verse 11 says, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. So he's he's explaining to them why he's using parables. Before he actually explains what the parable is. And this is where it gets strange to us. Here he makes a distinction. Here are the disciples. The inner circle. And then he says there are those who are without. He's not specifically speaking about those who are just not in the room right now. He's saying there are some that are on the inside. Some that get it. And there are those who are without the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 3... And throughout the book of Mark, there is this theme of those who are within and those who are without. Mark chapter 3, we find Jesus' own family comes. And in verse 31, it says, There came then his brethren and his mother, and, and standing without. They were on the outside calling in. They wanted Jesus' attention, but they weren't part of his group of disciples. Verse 34, he says, And he looked round about on them which sat about him, near him, And said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. Hey, you want to know who my real family is? It's not those who are without. It's the inner circle here. And back in Mark chapter 2, when we look at this, and and immediately we're struck with the fact that Jesus is being a little bit exclusive. right? He's making a distinction. And it's not really the right thing to do in, in our society today to say there are those within and those without. But Jesus was very clear that that's true. And so we come to grips with the fact that Christianity, Jesus' Christianity, is both exclusive and inclusive. Pastor mentioned that this morning. Anyone who will repent and believe the gospel and put their faith in Christ can be saved. Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 17 says that he came for those that have need of a physician, that are sick. That are sick. Right? And so if you understand yourself to be a sinner in need of a physician, in need of a savior, Jesus came for you. Anyone who will repent and believe the gospel and, and trust Christ can be saved. But only those who will repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ are saved. Inclusive and exclusive. And so Jesus explains why he teaches in parables in verse 12. He says that seeing, they may see. And not perceive. And hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. What I want to do right now is to correct Jesus, to explain what he really meant to say. That he actually meant to say, hey, I'm teaching in parables because I want everyone to understand what I'm saying. That's not what he says. I mean, what he says is is kind of shocking. Is, Is anybody else here confused? Wait, you're telling parables so that people may see and not perceive? So that they hear and they don't understand? So that they're not converted? So that their sins are not forgiven? Jesus, what are you talking about? I believe this is a wonderful text to help us shape our understanding of Jesus' ministry, his mission, the word of God, and the sovereignty of God. I think that as we look at this story and we place it, what Jesus is saying here alongside all of the rest of scripture, that it does help us shape what we understand Jesus was trying to accomplish. And, And it's confusing and it's difficult, but here Jesus is quoting from the book of Isaiah. If you want to turn your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. You you remember the amazing story of Isaiah entering into the presence of God, seeing the Lord high and lifted up on his throne, and the seraphims round about him singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. Right? It's, It's an amazing scene to picture. And then Isaiah is overcome with the fact that he is so unworthy. Woe is me, I am undone. And so the angel comes and takes a hot coal and places it on his lips and, and purges his sin, forgives him of his sin. And then his response in verse 8, I heard the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And usually when we read these verses, we stop there. Because that's the fun part. Hear my, send me, and so Isaiah's going to go, and he's going to bring the gospel to Israel. Praise the Lord, this is good news. But verse nine says, "And he said, "Go, tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and are converted and are healed. Right? That's What is he saying? Isaiah, I have have a ministry for you. I have a mission for you. I want you to go and I want you to preach to the people. And as you preach to them, their eyes will become heavy. Their ears will shut. Their heart will become hard. They won't hear. They won't respond. They won't be converted. That's what's going to happen as Isaiah preaches. And so my ministry for you is to bring the word of God to these people so that they don't hear, so that they don't see, so that they don't understand. What is going on? Isaiah wonders the same thing. And so he says, Lord, how long? How long is this going to happen that people won't respond? And God's answer summarized is judgment must come first before the people will listen. See, it's possible that Isaiah could go there and he could, he could give some kind of message that people would want to listen to. He could package the message of, of God in a way that people might listen to a little bit of it. But God was saying, that's not what I want right now. That's not what they need right now. These people need to become hardened so that they're judged, so that they can really see. See, God's desire was not so that the people would never see. That they'll never be converted because the Bible makes it clear that his will is that people will come to him. He doesn't want them to perish. He doesn't want destruction. But part of what's necessary in these people who have stony ground, who have hardened hearts, who, who have other things that are prioritized above the message of Christ, what they need sometimes is judgment. They need not to hear. They need not to understand for a time. As we read verse 12, it surprises us because we assume that what God wants for everybody right now is for them to understand and see. And Jesus spoke in parables because part of what it did is it sifted the wheat from the tares it made it clear to those who had a desire to hear and to understand and repent and it and it made it hidden from those who couldn't we want everybody to respond to the gospel the first time right that's not what's supposed to happen what's expected to happen is that people will be hardened people won't listen not everyone some will but Jesus is hes not giving to us some kind of strange philosophy of ministry. Like, hey, if you preach a good enough message, if you give the gospel well enough to your friends, then they will listen. Right? That's, a, that's an impossible standard to live up to. What he's saying is, you preach the gospel as well as you can. You, you, you give your friends the word of God and something will happen to them. And it might not be that they repent and believe the gospel. But that was what the word of God was supposed to do to them at this time. Does that make any sense at all? Okay. Hopefully it'll, it'll become more clear as we go. Um, in Luke chapter 8 verse 18, Luke is commenting right after he gives the same parable and he says take heed therefore how you hear for whosoever has to him shall be given and whosoever has not from him shall be taken even that which he seems to have so he's helping us understand this a little bit those who have who who understand who want to to learn more about the gospel they will understand more but to, to those who have not they're rejecting they don't want to hear Even what they know shall be taken away. That's what's happening here. And so for the next seven verses, Jesus provides a lengthy explanation of the meaning of this parable. The farmer is Jesus, the seed is the word of God, more specifically the gospel. The wayside is the hard ground or the path. This is the person who hears but does nothing about it. The birds represent Satan who comes and takes what they, what they have rejected away from them so it doesn't penetrate later. The stony ground is the soil that looks good. It seems responsive to the seed. But soon it withers and dies at the first sign of adversity. Because there's no root. The thorny soil is the seed that begins to grow, but is, are soon choked out by all the weeds that are going, growing around it. This is the person who adds Jesus to their life, but does not give him the place he deserves. Finally, the seed on good ground does everything that a seed is supposed to do. It goes into the soil, germinates, begins to show signs of life, and as it's faithful and obedient, it grows, and eventually it brings forth fruit. In Matthew chapter 13, we're told of this seed that they receive the word of God and understand it. In Luke chapter 8, we are told that they hear the word of God with a noble and a good heart, and they keep it and bear fruit. This is the good soil, the one that that desires to hear the truth of the gospel, and as they hear it, they, they, they understand it, they obey it. This is, by God's grace, who we ought to be. The key difference between the soils is faithfulness, and fruitfulness the one sticks with it the others don't the one bears fruit the others don't and so as we go through this parable last time we looked for a while at the soils and this time I want to change our focus to what Jesus was doing here the the farmer and what we learn about the farmer and then as we step back and look at Jesus telling this parable to this group of people at this time what do we see in Jesus' ministry strategy that we can learn from? And so first I want to look at what the parable does not teach. Okay, the parable does not teach that Jesus wants people to remain unconverted and unforgiven. It's not that he wants people to never be converted and never be forgiven. First Timothy chapter two verse three says, This is good and acceptable in sight of God and our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So he desires, his will, is that all men are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they would not repent. And so, when it says God loves the world, it means God loves the world. Jesus does not, however, want false conversions by someone who understands the gospel And is willing to accept it on their own terms. And this is where I think sometimes we stumble. We so badly want a response from our friend, from our loved one, from the person who's who's come to church, from the person we're talking to about the gospel, that we're willing to accept a subpar conversion. A mostly conversion. Right? But that's not what Jesus was after. When when you look at how Christ presented himself in the gospel, he he never purposely made it as confusing as possible. That's not what he was doing. But he never made it as easy as possible either. He never made it so that, hey, just come to me and, and I'll forgive you and I'll take away your yoke and it won't cost you a thing. He never said that. Now, he did make it abundantly clear that coming to him was better. right? But he said it will cost you something. In fact, he told us we ought to count the cost. He told us that there would be a cross to bear. He told us that birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. In other words, coming to Christ will cost you something this side of heaven. And so count the cost. He made that clear. I remember in Bible college... Uh, I would have teenagers come to a gym night. And I so clearly remember preaching the gospel to them after. And my sincere desire was to see as many of them saved as possible. But in my desire to see as many people saved as possible, I presented a gospel that was, listen, you don't need to change your life. You don't need to change a thing. Jesus died for you so that you would be able to go to heaven forever, and so if you will just say this prayer, he'll save you. And now I look back at that and I think, man, I gave them part of the gospel. But I, I was trying to make the gospel as easy as possible so as many people as possible would respond. I, I don't think I had ungodly motives. I think I really wanted to see them saved. But I also really wanted to see I wanted to manufacture results. And that's not what Jesus did. He told these parables so that the people that were supposed to hear would hear. And the people that weren't would be more confused. Jesus wants people to be converted. He wants people to be forgiven. But he doesn't want partial forgiveness or partial conversion. He wants the whole thing. Kent Hughes said parables, which typically reveal truth, are shown in this context to conceal it. Is this a contradiction? No, because parables are more than illustrations, they are also spiritual tests. They hide the truth from those who do not seek truth, but they reveal truth to those who seek it. And and I just want to show you an example of how this works. In Matthew chapter thirteen, forty four, we have a very short parable that Jesus gives. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like to a treasure that is hid in a field. The which, when a man hath found, he hides, and for the joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So you hear that parable, and if you know Christ, you know this man has gone out and the treasure he's found is Jesus Christ. And when you, found, when you find Christ, there is nothing that compares to that. It is worth selling everything you have. It is worth following him with everything you've got. Because nothing else matters next to the, the glory and the treasure that we've, we have in Jesus Christ. And so some people hear that story and they go, I get it. The treasure is Christ and I ought to give everything up for him. I ought to give my life to him. Because he is worthy of that. And others hear it and they go, Jesus wants us to find a treasure? Where do you think the field is? Do you think I'm supposed to go and find a field and buy it? I mean, they're confused, right? They have no idea what he's talking about. Because this parable revealed a a glorious truth to those who want to hear it. And it concealed the truth from those who don't. And so as we look at this parable, we understand that that's what Jesus was doing with parables. This parable also does not teach that we should make Christianity as confusing as possible. I'm sure you've seen YouTube videos that show people speaking Christianese. right? They're, they're speaking in a language that only Christian people would understand. And I, to a point, I get it. Because... The Bible contains concepts that might be foreign to other people. And so if we speak of redemption and reconciliation and the world goes, I don't, I don't really get that. That's something that, that we can't take away from the gospel. It's something that needs to be explained. But as we present the gospel to the world around us, understand that it's not our job to try and make it sound confusing. It's our job to make the, the gospel as clear and simple and easy as possible. Not that it's easy because it you know we're whitewashing it and we're making it sound like you're not it's not going to cost you anything no we be clear about the cost but be clear about what the gospel is do you understand that in this context as Jesus gives this parable he is culturally aware he gave this parable to a culture that completely was familiar with agriculture They understood everything that he was saying as far as... So he wasn't giving a parable in a way that was designed to just disguise it from the average person. I think sometimes we make Christianity so complicated. We speak in terms and words that are just way above the average person as if you have to be super smart to understand what Christianity really is. You don't. You really don't. I mean, any, any... Children... We're supposed to come to faith in Christ like a child does, right? Children can understand the gospel and respond to it. And so it can't be that confusing. And so we ought to do our best to convey the gospel to our friends, to our neighbors, to our loved ones in a way that is as clear as possible. What lessons should we take away then? Well, it seems to me that the strategy of Jesus' ministry was to sow seed to sow seed right and lots of seed their farmer's job is to sow seed jesus did not teach his disciples how to more effectively target good soil he didn't say hey what you got to do you got to read your audience you got to know the right place to go to you got to know the right time you got to make sure that they've just had a good a full meal and so that they're all like comfortable and then after you've told enough funny jokes then you're ready to, to give them an emotional story and then a, a plea for the gospel. He didn't, he didn't say, this is how you prep the soil. Right? He just said, sow seed. Um, he, he wasn't a salesman. And we shouldn't be salesmen. It wasn't about prepping the seed. Uh, he also did not teach his disciples how to manipulate or transform bad soil into good soil. It wasn't about that. Now, I don't think the soils are static. I don't think that that if you're this soil now, you're this soil forever, period. I actually think that as we look at the story and we find that just before this time, Jesus' siblings were on the outside. They didn't understand. They, They thought he was crazy. They were the hard soil. After Jesus rose from the dead, they're saved. They're followers of Christ. I think that God will work on soil to change it, but he's not teaching us how to change it. It's not your job to change it. God will work on that. Now, pray. I think prayer is a wonderful thing that we can do to help um, with that, but it's not our job to change the soil. He did not teach his disciples how to modify the seed to create some kind of super seed that can grow into any soil. It wasn't about like, hey, take the word of God and then fix it So that the people will listen and hear and bear fruit. right? That you can do it to any soil at all. It wasn't about that. Jesus was not ever teaching us that we need to give God a makeover. And he didn't. Unfortunately, sometimes we do. We alter the word of God to make it palatable for the people we're talking to. What you're doing when you do that is you're altering the life-giving antidote for sin And in its place, offering a placebo masquerading as an antidote. can't do that. That's cruel. When you change God from the God that's depicted in Scripture, when you change the gospel in any way from what it really is, you've offered a false gospel that can only damn people. That's bad. Uh, But it's happening often. It's happening often in churches, unfortunately. The gospel is the gospel. If I tell people to believe in Jesus and ask him to save you and he'll take you to heaven forever, I have given less than the gospel. The gospel is more than that. The gospel is understanding that we're sinners, that we're, we're lost and helpless, that we can't save ourselves. The gospel is understanding that our sin puts us before a holy and righteous God who is the judge of the universe, that our sin separates us from that God and will separate us forever from him in a place called hell. That is part of the gospel too. And part of the gospel is repenting from that sin, turning from your sin, and turning from your religion and turning from your self-righteousness, turning from anything you think might get you to heaven, might save you, and turning fully, completely to Jesus Christ. Repentance and then faith in Christ. Then trusting Him wholly. Then asking Him, confessing your sin and asking Him to save you. That's the gospel. And understanding that when you do that, Jesus saves you fully, completely, forever. That's the gospel. And we should not ever change it. So what do we do? Well, the farmer went out and he sowed seed. Sounds like a good place to start. He wasn't a smart farmer. He didn't sow seed in the right places. He just threw it everywhere recklessly. He sowed seed. On the concrete, yep. Amid the thorns, for sure, yep. Yeah. How about on the rocky soil where people were just so busy with everything and they didn't want anything to be hard in their life? Yeah, those people too. He sowed a lot of seed. It's really, I think, that simple. The word of God is the only thing that can be buried into a dead heart and suddenly burst through with life and fruitfulness. And so what people need, what your loved one need, ones need, your neighbors, your your friends, People we rub shoulders with with all the time. What they need is the word of God. And the spirit of God takes the word of God and does something that you can't do. That you can't manufacture. And as much as the church might try to manufacture it, we fall short. We fail. And and I think we're doing in some some cases the same thing that the Pharisees were doing. They were giving people a false gospel and it was the blind leading the blind to hell. Do you know how to avoid that? This is the word of God. It's not me, it's not my brilliance, it's not my personality, it's not, you know, this great sales tactic that I figured out. This is the gospel. You can believe in it, you can repent and trust Christ or not. It's your call. <clears throat> he told his disciples to sow seed. And to sow it everywhere. And it's that simple. Psalm 119.25 says, My soul cleaves unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Lord, make me alive according to your word. In John 6.63, Jesus said, It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. So without the spirit of God working, there's no life. The flesh, we can't, we can't manipulate, we can't do it ourselves. He goes on and he says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word of God is the life. We live in a day and age where the church asks, how can we attract more people? How can we entice them to come? How can we grow our church? It may be counterintuitive, but preach the word. But people don't want to hear that anymore. The gospel is outdated. It's so exclusive. Preach the word. That's all we've got. People don't need our schemes. People don't need our new form of entertainment. People don't need the church to be super smart. They just need the church to be the church and preach the word. Do what we're called to do. That, my friends, is the mission strategy of Jesus. Sow lots of seed on all kinds of soil and let the spirit work. And I think that should be our strategy as well. Sow lots of seed on all kinds of soil and let the Spirit work. So, take home tonight. Go home and sow some seed. Go home and give people the Word of God. If we did that, imagine what the people here, okay, a small Sunday night crowd, imagine what the people here would accomplish in a week if we all decided, hey, I'm going to go give the Word of God to somebody this week. It'd be amazing, It'd be totally different than what usually happens. And so I'd encourage you this is I mean honestly to me, this strategy is empowering. it's encouraging. It tells me that I don't have to be brilliant or perfect in, in, in my uh, giving of the, the truth. My presentation, see, I can't even think of the word because I'm not brilliant. It's <laughs> um, a big word, right? A lot of letters. Uh, I don't have to be that. I just have to be obedient. I just have to be confident that what I have is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes. And so I don't need to, to gift wrap it. I just need to give it. And so let's go this week and try and give the gospel to some people. Let's pray.